It might be getting stale. Okay, let's make it fresh. Hello and welcome to Fresh Aesthetic, the show where we discuss topics like creativity, popular culture, self-acceptance, and more. My name is Stephen, and I'm joined by my co-host Matt. Hi Matt, and welcome to the show everyone. Let's hit it. How are you doing? I'm alright. A week of ups and downs, but I'm here. Doesn't sound like an ideal week. Uh, What's been going on? Oh, just starting a business. <laughs> yeah. Enough said. Yep. <laughs> I can imagine just based on starting this podcast that it starts with crickets chirping and then yeah and then there's a fanfare and you're like yeah life's gonna work <laughs> out and then there's silence again right so ironmower.co.nz anyone listening thank you yeah absolutely <laughs> I was gonna push it too <laughs> go <laughs> go hard and um, buy some products yeah. you already have oh I want to buy some more just gotta save That's up for good. them yeah <laughs> how's the lamps not haven't electrocuted anyone yet which is a good start <laughs> um and we're developing a range of uh what do you call them fitted lamps like hanging lamps wall lamps and stuff so yeah it's good oh that's really good i i really enjoyed your uh why is cody so expensive oh the wood mate. you know it's crazy i found out um, and for those listeners who don't know um, what kauri wood is, it's uh, it's a native timber in New Zealand. It's been here for uh, you know since since before humans were here, and uh, it was largely cleared in when European settlers came to build homes and stuff. Um, and recently, uh, there's been a dieback disease which is killing a lot of it. But uh, here's what's amazing: when I was researching about you know how rare it is, it's illegal to mill it. You can't sell it. You can't chop down trees and sell it because it's such a special timber and it's so rare. But what they're doing is they are um, the the only way you're allowed to use it is when it's made of the carving, right? So they're they're getting these massive logs, carving a love heart with a chainsaw in them, and selling them overseas, um, which is just a complete um, what do you call it? Uh, shortcut the system, and as a result. Lots of trees are being cut down. And uh, anyway, I'm not sustainability-minded, but uh, I'm becoming it more and more as I see some of the corruption out there with um, people just destroying the planet. Yeah, I can hear it. Oh, I've got an episode brewing on sustainability, so mm. I'm really looking forward to that one. Um, I am 100% with you that as you see more and more corruption, it is depressing, but it's also fuel to just... We need to get our act together as humanity and and deal with this, do better. I think if we didn't see it so much, we probably wouldn't do anything about it, right? Yeah, and there's something in that with with how we don't really respond to a problem until it's so overwhelming that it's just about killing us. And I think that's probably what's going to happen with climate change is Mm. we, unfortunately, as humans, we tend to just ignore, um, pretend it's not there avoid any any tactic to get away from it i mean we do that with so many things but yes we do it with climate change absolutely well we've got uh i'm optimistic that it can change some people aren't but at the end of the day we've not really got an option we've got to work on it otherwise we're all screwed 
<laughs> I feel like I'm on a 50-50 between optimism and pessimism yeah, between it, depending on the day. day. That's right. All right. So what our topic, public humiliation. Mm. I'm interested in what made you want to talk about that, that this week. I was pretty much up for any topic, but um, yeah, let's go with this one. All right. Well, I had to, um, we talked about vulnerability hangover and it was great because it talked about when you put yourself out there and, you know, it's like, what's going to happen? But you put yourself out there, but I guess building on from that, what happens when it all goes wrong? What happens when you put yourself out there and it's boom on your face? I was thinking about this today when you texted me and I was considering the fact I, was, I don't know if I've had any moments where I've completely fallen on my face and been publicly humiliated. Thank God for that. But um, I was thinking, does this not drive what I do? Um, the fear of public humiliation? Wow. Because you have in the back of your mind sometimes just what, like the worst case scenario. What if, what if I crash and burn? What if I put myself out there and it sucks? What if everybody laughs at me? And that can drive me sometimes to make things better. So I was thinking about that, how it really can um, make me want to build a better product or create a better piece of art or it just drives me, that fear. To produce good yeah, it's, it's not the only driving motivation, but it's one of them. Yeah. I, I, I definitely can admit that. Do you follow uh, Jake Paul on um, YouTube? I do not. Okay, neither do I. But <laughs> <laughs> but I remember the way he got really big was his account was blowing up and then he went to, I think it was somewhere in China or Japan, and he went to this place where a lot of people, it was known a place people commit suicide. And so there was a big uh, uproar because he went there and just basically took the rip out of the place, right? And suddenly all these celebrities were commenting, saying, shame on you, you know, and his whole world fell apart. And there was, you know, as on YouTubers, it's sort of like, is he actually sorry? Is he saying sorry to get all his followers back? And I don't really know, but all I know is that he had the biggest global failure as far as putting himself out there and doing something absolutely stupid and paying a price for it. Wow. And I saw that and I just thought, what is it like to fail on that level when celebrities that you probably look up to are just hating on you? And one of the things he came back with in his defense was, look, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm pumping out content all the time. And I just got caught up in trying to get the next thing. And yeah, I totally deceived myself into uh, thinking it was okay to make fun of suicide and other things like that. Is it genuine? We'll never know. But at the end of the day, I think uh, it really puts on the table the worst case scenario of global failure in front of everyone that we're absolutely in our worst dreams uh, would you want to be in front of the whole world failing? You know? <laughs> Fire festival? Anybody? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Eh? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I know that puts our little problems into perspective. But at the same time, any public failure can feel like an absolute death. 
Um, you were talking before about a particular event we ran. Oh, we don't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I, d- I don't want to say any names. Just I don't know what the the things are around that. Yeah, okay. You don't have to say names. Just what what was the... Um... Okay, so as part of my uh, role working in the church, I had to organize um, a event at our church and uh, it was a citywide event. So we were working with several churches that was bringing in an international speaker. And this speaker was pretty well known. And we were we had to do a lot of advertising. And my role was simply to open up a satellite venue and host about 500 people, which would be live streaming the event um, as an overflow to, to the actual conference. Um, but here's the thing. I had to set up the live stream as well. And when I turned up to set up the live stream, I was like, I don't think the internet connection can handle this. So I found out how other places do live streams to big events and it costs a fortune. You basically have to call your telephone company and get a direct line to them. Well, you did back then anyway. Um, And so they rent the fiber connection cable from one building to another cable and you pay something like, you know, it was a $1,000 a minute to to, to stream. Um, But we didn't have that. So we were like, well, let's just go broadband. We'll stream it like we're streaming this uh, right now on on Twitch. We'll just pick it up in the venue. And so my job was to oversee that. And at the same time, I was, um, because of my stupidity or because the way the chips fell, I think my responsibility also called for me to run the event on stage and to be the MC. This is Oh my goodness, I'm just getting stressed thinking about doing both of those <laughs> things at the same time. Everybody was there, it was all amping. We had a couple of technical issues with the lag. So they were on stream in their building talking to us and saying, hi, how are you? But we had about a 10 second lag. So I'm on stage and you can imagine what this is like. Um, there's just 500 people all looking at me on stage and I'm standing there and they're saying, hi, how are you? And then we're waiting for 10 seconds and then we're having this uh, drawn out conversation. And then on top of that, as a church, we really wanted to represent to our communities very well that we were um, a professional organization, that we were able to handle things like this. We started the live stream and it just dropped out within, within I think it was five minutes. Wow. It was supposed to be 40 minutes of live stream, five minutes drops out. I've got to try and fix why it's dropped out because I'm in charge of the team that's live streaming and I've also got to communicate to the audience and I've got nobody, the the, the senior pastor was a, a guest at the venue where this person was speaking. So it was, it was me. And so I had to get up in front of them and say, look, we're having problems. And we had every tech person in the building coming up to see if they could help. And the bottom line was there was absolutely nothing we could do about a dropping out connection. It was just bad internet. And there was no, we didn't have the $1,000 budget. And so I had to stand in front of the audience and just say, look, I'm sorry, having difficulties. We started having people walking out. We started having people leaving. Um, A lot of people were very nice about it. But at the end of the day, people were extremely dissatisfied and uh, disappointed. And we we got the stream going again, but we missed out on like 20 minutes of a 40-minute stream. And I just remember wanting to sink into the carpet and die um, because I could blame lots of other things as to why it didn't work. If if I was going back to that situa- situation now, I'd probably have more guts to say, 
I don't think this is going to work. <laughs> but, but right back then I was trying to please everyone and tr just trying to do my job. Man, it felt horrible that to, in front of a citywide event to to drop the ball. Wow, that's heartbreaking in a way. I'm just like seeing like, the funny yeah, side, but also funny. trying to empathize oh, with you. Like it's funny. It's funny looking back, but I and at the time I just had to make the decision. I will not think about it because it was just too overwhelming. Wow, because that was one of the. I don't even know why. I can't remember even what I was doing, but I wasn't on any service team that night, which blows my mind because I'm normally doing lots of things. Yeah. I was just there and I had um, a friend up from down south and we were just sitting there in the crowd. And because I know what it's like as a uh, tech person, I was like, well, I'm not going to, there's no way I'm directing any frustration towards the tech team because I know what it's like and I know what they're, they're, that they're doing everything they possibly can to get it fixed. So I was just sitting there having chats and having a good time. But I, <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, it's, I'm still empathizing with that must have been the worst. Like, put, I can put myself in your position and think I would be absolutely mortified. It brings up the issue of public failure. And when we're talking about creativity, when you do something, and it's not just like, oh, that didn't work out, it didn't get what I want, but it's actually like I failed and there's a rejection as a result of it. Because I didn't look at the you know, 300, 400 people that stayed in the auditorium. I looked at the 100 people that left and were like, this guy's a beep and beep, you know? Like, this guy's an absolute idiot. And I felt that personally, and I just wondered how does that translate into the world of doing something creatively like, um, uh, what's his name, Jake Paul or whatever his name is, and actually being rejected, being like you are given a label of shame or guilt because of what you've done. And, oh, my, what I had was nothing compared to him, but man, it, you know, I wanted to sink into the ground and die. But, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, this can you recover from failure like that if you have a platform? Can you recover from failure like that when you have a following? We're in cancel culture. Yeah, I was just thinking of cancel culture as you were talking. Where the crazy thing with cancel culture is, I think I don't know much about it, and I'm willing to admit that I'm a noob. I don't really know what I'm talking about, but I will say that we do have a tendency as people to project onto other people our pain and our suffering, and that's proven that we do that as humans. Right. And so cancel culture, you can really end up canceling yourself because you can project onto other people what you think needs to be canceled and then cancel them when you're actually just canceling the the nasty parts of yourself wow it's quite quite a mind-blowing thing to consider but i try and do that with lots of things is think where is my contribution to the problem so i think of we're talking about before climate change i think i can get really frustrated and really grumpy and just like we're screwed as humans but then i can see just micro things that I do myself and I can see that same thing in myself of taking convenience over 
doing the right thing or doing what needs to be done to be to to make the change like today i was driving home and there was like a billion cars driving up the hill and i see one cyclist and i'm like when is the day coming when it's a billion cyclists and one car wow because that's when that's where it needs to be but when's it going to be that yeah. So I'm getting back to you and, and to you um, being on stage and can you come back from public humiliation? Well, people have very carefully crafted statements to do that and they have PR teams and ways of kind of rectifying blunders because we were humans. We make blunders all the time and there's so many that happen in the news and when they happen, it's like, oh, it's kind of exciting when you see one. Like, I was, yeah, yeah. Makes I was, did you see that? Did you see that tweet from Burger King where they said um, they were trying to do a advertising stunt and that went completely wrong? And they said, "Women belong in the kitchen." <laughs> oh no! And they tweeted that on International Women's Day. <laughs> oh no! It was. What was the idea behind that? Well, the idea was that it was in the kitchen was in area of inequality where women weren't being chefs in the kitchen so they were saying women belong and they can be chefs in our kitchens I, oh. but they they did it on international women's day as a pr stunt and i think it just went <laughs> it just completely backfired they had to delete the tweet take it down oh that is just too funny it's pretty funny but oh. At the same time, I actually pity the person who came up with that campaign. I know <laughs> they would have. They probably went through that whole stage of this is brilliant. This is <laughs> so good. It's a play on words. Yeah, it's relevant. Oh, yeah. So, what do you do with um, talking about the rejection? And I loved what you said there. Like, you reject, you cancel things that you see in yourself. So, do we reject people who are like us? I think we have a tendency to. To see the dark, or subconsciously, we don't consciously do it, because I think if we consciously did it, we would become aware of it and stop doing it, maybe, hopefully. But I think we know the darkest things in ourselves subconsciously, we see them in other people, we see other people doing them and go, get outraged and go, you need to stop doing that, how dare you, when really we kind of do the same things ourselves sometimes. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. The other the other word is scapegoating. So scapegoating, right. like there's people smarter than me who know the origins of scapegoating, but basically it's taking an animal and I know in old Bible times they would have a, a sacrifice and they would cast the sins onto the goat. And I think it literally is the goat is escaping or trying oh, to get away and they kill the goat. Yep. So it's like casting your darkest things onto the goat and then the goat gets brutally killed. Scapegoating. We do it all the time, just in, in every area of our lives. Yeah. Yeah, casting that onto other people, not realizing that actually we're the one carrying that thing. Not seeing the darkness in ourselves. And I think that's that's a, perhaps one of the things of public failure is that you when you fail publicly, you're putting on world the dark things of yourself. And, and, you know, people have identified in you the dark things they see in them, perhaps. 
Um, and I was thinking, talking about different cultures and what governs the rules of different cultures. So the shame, there's three different types of cultures they talk about, shame, guilt, and fear. But fear is is, is quite a mi- minority culture. It's quite primitive. So there would be probably subcultures within a country that deal with fear, such as tribal. But the main ones are um, in the Western world would be guilt. So we are individuals and we, when we do... Uh, things wrong, we feel a sense of guilt. So let me just read this out. In a guilt society, control is maintained by creating and continually enforcing the feeling of guilt and expectation of punishment for certain condemned behaviors. The guilt worldview focuses on law and punishment. Jails, right? Um, How long sentences are, all that kind of stuff is a guilt-based culture thinking. What about shame society? It means uh, it's the means of control in the inclination of shame and has a shame on a worldview that people begin to think, shall I look ashamed if I do this? Or how will people look at me if I do that? Shame cultures are typically based on the concepts of pride and honor. So to give you an example, in a shame-based culture and my cousin-in-law, I think that's how I refer to him, comes from China and he said when you're over in China in some cities when you cross when you jaywalk across the road cameras put your face up on the billboard wow because it's a shame-based culture so they're reinforcing the law by putting shame on you because in the community you stand out as disobeying societal norms but when you take that into a guilt, I mean, if you did that in downtown Auckland, we'd all be running out into road to get on the camera, you know what I mean? It would just not work um, because we're a guilt society and a guilt society is far more about punishment. So the punishment of going off on a TV isn't bad enough punishment. You put me in jail for jaywalking. Now that's, I won't do that. So the different ways that society is governed. So when we're talking about failing in public in a guilt-based culture, Failing in public really is, okay, what's the punishment for doing that? And can I bear that? Whereas if you look in a shame-based culture, I don't know because I don't think shame-based, but I would be interested to know, do people who live in a shame-based culture struggle with creatively putting themselves out there all the time? Because if the community rejects them, the sense of shame is so great. Whereas if I do something and it doesn't, and it flops, I might not necessarily be rejected by the community. It might just be like, oh, it didn't work out. But if you're in a shame-based culture and it doesn't work out, the there's social stigma attached to that. And this is why in a lot of, for example, um, movies that come out of China, the protagonist is ashamed when his business hasn't taken off. The protagonist is ashamed when um, their, their marriage is broken up because it's a societal standard. And... Um, I'm happy for anybody to correct me on these things, but this is from what I've understood anyway. So it brings around to this sense of failing in Western culture is based on what punishment do I have to bear if I fail miserably? And in a sense, how can I bypass that punishment? By apologizing, by having these written statements, Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky. How do I twist the PR to escape punishment. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? It does. Wow, that's an interesting concept. I hadn't considered that before. Um, It really does fascinate me 
the cultural differences we have because in your own culture you just get into the thing of thinking this is all there is this is life as we know it and because you kind of as humans you adapt to whatever you're in right you you adapt to the environment that you're in and so you figure out coping strategies you figure Mm. out ways to get around the rules you figure out what you need to do to survive so it's just cool to hear about other cultures because i forget like i forget that oh there's a whole world out there that have different cultures to us that are completely different yeah so i that's interesting um but i think shame is it's a it's a nasty one because i think people use it to hold power over other people for sure and as humans we're so it's a burden like to get to have shame dumped on you it feels like you're just getting a a huge pack handed to you that you have to wear like you're tramping with a really heavy pack and you have to put this thing on and it's weighing you down and you can get so low that you're almost on your knees crawling with it and that's how powerful shame can be and the thought of it can be enough of a drive like I was saying earlier enough of a drive to just do whatever it takes to not have that yes so then for you you mentioned earlier that the create that fear of having that shame if, if we call it shame the community rejection drives you to to perform well yes so is there a healthy sense to shame being a driver then I don't think so I don't want that to be a driver. Wow. That's that's a drive that it led me to do really good things. Like you achieve so much. Like it's a powerful motivator. Shame is a powerful motivator and failure, the fear of all of that is is powerful. And it does work. That's the problem, I guess. Wow. It works. It makes you do stuff. And if somebody holds power over somebody, it it makes them do what the person who is serving the person in power wants them to do. So you can see how it can be abused. So how, if it produces great things, then what, why is it bad? Because it's coming from the wrong place. It's coming from a place of being fearful of being less than who you actually are. You're you're ashamed of things that really we all do and we all have like uh, wants and needs we can be ashamed of those and we all have them we're all the same thing we're all humans Mm. living and breathing yeah can we go deep oh always willing to go deep go deep um i and working in the a religious environment, faith-based environment, one of the challenges that we have to face is we have to represent who we believe God to be to everyone. Anybody who comes in the building, we've got to represent God to them. doesn't matter what they've done. Okay, let's get on to some of the harsh things of society when we're talking about child abuse, pedophilia, and you're forced to face people like this and actually how would Jesus treat them? And you have to start thinking about here are people who are just, you cannot comprehend how they do what they do. 
um, with the shame and the public failure. And in a sense, there is a, a sense of trusting that shame will and pu- will be the punishment for these people. And I think I had to come to a place in myself um, to realize that these are humans. And when you unpack their stories, <clears throat> and uh, we had to go to some training seminars to learn how to deal with um, you know, at-risk people in, in churches and protection and things like that. And uh, what we found was a lot of the people who uh, end up um, offending in, in those areas are very, very broken people who have made decisions along the way that um, were wrong decisions, but they, I guess you could say that in their circumstances, would you have made a different decision? And that gets scary because you start to realize that everybody is human and has the compact that, that we have the danger to to go down the same path as other people because we're human and we react to the situation. I'm not saying you know yeah you know we're all pedophiles, right? That's a terrible way to start a conversation. But what I'm saying is the first. Um, danger the the first uh, qualification to be an abuser is to be human and the second qualification is to process pain in an unhealthy way and to continue processing it i think in in an unhealthy way and i think that needs to be said but um it's a very heavy topic and i think it's something that really you have to go into the heavy topics to really understand um the deeper things of the human psyche and the human heart and to understand ourselves. And I think it really just probes that we are, we all have the potential to let darkness grow in us. And we all have the potential to, I guess, uh, make decisions that decrease that. And when we're talking on a much lighter subject about creativity we're talking about putting ourselves out there, we're coming up to the same things again of, okay, um, am I motivated by things, uh, the negative influences, or am I going to allow the positive things in me to grow? And I think, yeah, I don't know. I hope I'm getting communicating across what you, you hear what I'm trying to say there. But really, it's recognizing that we all can be motivated by wrong things. We are human. That qualifies us for that. But we need to um, come out from that and we need to be walking in positive motivations, positive factors in life that lead to great things. And I think that's what you're saying. I think that's what you're saying. Does that make sense? It does. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about a, I don't know where I heard this, but somebody was talking about Hitler. And that's usually where the conversation goes when you get into ground like this is people yeah. go straight to Hitler because it's the extreme, it's the polar evil. Yeah. But what was really interesting was they were talking about how the act of just murdering so many Jews, which is obviously horrific, how could humans do that? Like, how could that eventuate? Mm what they were saying was that the the job got segmented down into all of these different parts so that each person could say, I'm just doing my job. Right. So what happened, say, was somebody would drive the train 
to the concentration camp. They didn't know. They they all to them they were just transporting people, right? And it they didn't know that the people were going there to die. Um, anybody can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not, you know, a hundred percent sure on the facts, but I'm, pr- uh, you know, I yeah, yeah. I can see that this could easily eventuate like this, <laughs> and seems to it take into account why people could do this horrendous thing. But then there's the ones who kind of govern the people day to day. But then even going into the chambers, it's like somebody sends them to the showers. Yeah. In air quotes. It's almost a detached process. It is a detached process. That's exactly right. And then someone just pushes a button on these showers, air quotes, to, to do whatever they had to do. But at the end of the day, they can segment it. And then it's, they don't feel like it's their problem anymore. Yeah. So again, and another thing I was thinking when you're talking is what if we were born into different contexts? Yeah. Wow. So re-roll the dice and you're born in Iraq. Hmm. Re-roll it again and you're born in some other country with a completely different culture, completely different set of views on the world. It's just interesting, interesting to think about. I think it brings back to to really, and and what I was trying to nail there was the the vulnerability we have as humans. And something you said earlier is that we reciprocate our environment, that the vulnerability that we have as humans is so fragile. And we think that our world is built around you know, who we are, who we chose to be, all these things. But so much of it is a roll of the dice. So much of it is like, um, you know, whether we uh, were born in a certain country, who our parents were, whether we were privileged, whether we didn't have privilege, what we view privilege to be. And um, I think that's really tough to negotiate that. And, and it, you know, talking about other cultures and shame and failing, what it looks like in one culture to succeed and and what it looks like in one culture to be a failure is completely different. Um, if you uh, are, for example, in a very conservative Islamic country and uh, you're a woman and you're wearing a veil, you're considered to be, you know, a very highly uh, respected for keeping the culture. You could be in another part in, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a polar opposite place like a, uh, rural Texas, sorry, rural Texans, and you see somebody like that, and it's like, oh, that's a bad image, you know. Um, and where there might be racism or things prevalent, sorry, Texans, not giving you a hard time, but um, yeah. And so, what is in one culture is different in another culture, and and what is in one world is different in another world, and failure in that context looks incredibly different. And recovering from failure in that context looks incredibly different. How do you come back from failure? Well, let's pivot for a second and talk about our secondary topic for today, the ego. I was rereading Richard Raw's uh, material on the ego today, and I thought it was absolutely profound as always. But it's how we set up a false version of ourselves that exists in the world, and we kind of feed that false version of ourselves that... I'm a professor in a university or I'm I'm a doctor I'm a it's the story that we tell to the world to gain love and acceptance. Yeah. That's my understanding of it. There's other there's other things to it as well, but that's yeah, a rudimentary explanation of it I suppose. Yeah. So when we say failure, 
and humiliation, we're really talking about our egos. We're failing at that thing that we set up, that imaginary thing of, in the case of this event that was run where the live stream was patchy. Um, yeah. It's this thing that we set up of, I can do this and I can put on this great show for people where they come and they watch this event and it's a, all works seamlessly and it's a reflection on me what do you think about that yeah i mean it, it makes perfect sense doesn't it i think that the dan- most dangerous thing in life is to not fail perhaps publicly because success is uh, an ego trip that never ends now we're getting juicy and what happens when you keep succeeding and and this is you know i'm wrestling with this in business i don't want this business to fail because it will it will really suck <laughs> But also there's part of the part of me that I guess goes, if this doesn't work, am I good at anything in life? Like, can I not pull anything off? And then there's this part of me, so you can't keep keep failing, that you almost need to have success. But then the other part of me goes, why am I so afraid of failure? Mm. Is it the consequences or is it the is it the ego's death? Is it the ego being hung in public? You know what I mean? Hung, drawn, and quartered in public that everybody will see, oh, you failed. And if, But if you keep succeeding and you don't have those moments of failure, you become detached from reality because you think – and this is a great um, scientific experiment that was done in car drivers in L.A. I believe it was L.A. where they walked out into the road and uh, to try and see which cars would stop. And they found that BMWs and Mercedes didn't stop. Wow. And it was a complete exposure of the egocentrism of people that have succeeded in life. And that the the study came back showing that even if you were the same person driving a Volkswagen and you stopped and then you made a million dollars the next week, you were less likely to stop. That's the most ridiculous but I can relate thing I've ever heard of just it resonates so what happens if you keep succeeding what happens if you don't stop in the Mercedes and you keep succeeding at life and this is what I was trying to say earlier and I think that analogy was a far better way to go about it to say it this way that we are all human and we're completely susceptible to the same behavioral patterns and cycles nobody is immune that's right and the ego exists in every human being and can be manipulated in every human being. That's absolutely right. I'm just tripping over your analogy there. And they, 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 uh, they, it's a study on YouTube. It's worth looking again. I saw it years ago, but um, it was just fascinating. And the other thing they found was that um, people who had succeeded always put it down to their hard work. Wow. People who had not succeeded or were struggling, in many cases worked harder, but instead of saying they deserved it, they said everything was a gift. What do you do with that? That's like ex- exposure of the ego. The people who failed in life, who, who and what a beautiful gift. And that's why we need to fail, because we need to have the gift of realizing everything is a gift. And when you're constantly succeeding, you become blind to that, I think. I wouldn't know, because I've not really succeeded. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's amazing. I think you've succeeded in plenty of things you've done. Maybe so. The ego just keeps wanting bigger things. and That's right. And then that's a good illustration right here of even when I succeed myself, I can resonate in the same way that it's on to the next thing. You make that purchase you wanted to make. Okay, it's on to the next thing. Yeah. You get that award you wanted to get. Okay, it's on to the next thing. Ego is getting bigger. Yeah, and climbing the ladder. Climbing the ladder is the ladder up against the correct building. Do you get to the top of the ladder and realize what was the point of this? My ladder is in the wrong place. How do you succeed without letting the ego get in? Oh, so you you do have a, a rip-roaring success and you're asking how do you not let that go to your head kind how of do, thing? How do you stop the Mercedes in the road? <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, you realize what's going on. The true self, false self. That's good. Building of the ego and that that's not you. It's just a story you tell about yourself. You realize why you're telling that story about yourself and why you want those things. Then you also have to realize that you're perfectly happy where you are and nothing could happen to take away from that. It's Richard Raw's material, but I'm going to read to you about it for the Inspiration Zone, all about the ego, and I think that can send us into the wrap-up. The human ego prefers anything just about anything to falling or changing or dying. The ego is that part of you that loves the status quo, even when it's not working. It attaches to past and present and fears the future. Now I'm going to read from The Illusion of an Autonomous Self, and I'm reading from The Center of Action and Contemplation, and it's Richard Rawls material, which is based around Thomas Merton's material. Okay. I'm using the terms true self and false self as they were used by Thomas Merton in his classic New Seeds of Contemplation. Merton writes, Every one of us is shadowed by an illusory person, a false self. This is the man or woman that I want myself to be, but who cannot exist, because God does not know anything about him or her and to be unknown of God is altogether too much privacy that's why the false self is so fragile it's inherently insecure because it's almost entirely a creation of the mind a social construct it doesn't exist except in the world of perception which is where we live most of our lives instead of in God's eternal now When you die, what dies is your false self, because it never really existed to begin with. It simply lives in your thoughts and projections. It's what you want yourself to be, and what you want others to think you are. It's very tied up with status symbols and reputation. Whenever you're offended, it's usually because your self-image has not been worshipped. Or... It has been momentarily exposed. The false self will quickly react with a vengeance to any offenses against it, because all it has is its own fragile assumptions about itself. Narcissists have a lot of asserting and defending to do moment by moment, 
don't waste much time defending your ego. The true self is untouchable, or as Paul puts it, it takes no offense. It's 1 Corinthians 13.5. People who can live from their true selves are genuinely happy. Merton continues, My false and private self is the one who wants to exist outside the reach of God's will and God's love, outside of reality and outside of life. And such a self cannot help but be an illusion. Merton says, We are not very good at recognizing illusions, least of all the ones we cherish about ourselves. For most of the people in the world, there is no greater subjective reality than this false self of theirs, which does not even exist. A life devoted to the cult of the shadow is what is called a life of sin. What we call sins are actually symptoms of the illusion that we are separated from God. Yet most people attack the symptom instead of the cause. All sin starts from the assumption that my false self, the self that exists only in my own egocentric desires, is the fundamental reality of life to which everything else in the universe is ordered. Thus I use up my life in the desire for pleasures and the thirst for experiences, for power, honor, knowledge and love, to clothe this false self and construct its nothingness into something objectively real. You have been given something so much better, for all belongs to you, you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. 1 Corinthians 3, 22-23 Your true self is already home free. To know that is to be saved. That's reading from the Center for Action and Contemplation on True Self, False Self, Week 1. The Illusion of an Autonomous Self. That was amazing. It was amazing. I don't exist. That's what I got for it. <laughs> I feel like one of those movies where if I put my hand through you, it's just yeah. going to cut through the air. Imagine what it would be like to just live like your false ego didn't exist. Crazy. And there's a part of your ego that wants to be the best to be able to do that. Yes, I can live from the true self. Yeah, I love that. Do you have any more thoughts as we wrap up? No, I think uh, for me summarizing what we've just talked about, I guess it's just the sense of the, the fear of failure is only magnified in a public setting. And the fear is that our true self would be exposed and the ego just cannot handle that but the ego doesn't exist it's it's our perception of the ego that exists yeah and the other thing is that we're frightened little children at our core and we're scared of that actual vulnerable true self sometimes that if we do present our true selves without the mask without the facade that nobody will like us well that's awesome thank you so much that conversation was very life-giving to me um it's always great to have you here check out ironmower.co.nz uh, buy some products buy some shelves some pipes make me succeed and grow my ego <laughs> 
Thanks so much for listening, everyone. If you like the podcast, please consider leaving a review and following the show on Instagram. The support means a lot and is super helpful for the algorithms. All original music is by me, Stephen Garten. And thanks as always to my co-host, Matt Goodat, for the chats. All right, I'll see you all in the next one. Keep it fresh.